What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What is happening, everybody? How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's raining like crazy here in Southern California. But that's a dumb way to start the podcast, talking about weather. Like, how boring is that? Anyways, you are here because you want to hear discussions with people who are involved in independent music, because that is what we do here on a weekly basis. And if this is your first time here, welcome. You've got like 600 some odd episodes. I mean, almost. I'm exaggerating. We're at like episode, what, 591, I think this is. So you got about 500 previous conversations. You have to listen to every single, uh, obviously I'm just joking, joking, but I am very happy to welcome Connor McAuliffe. And I'm totally butchering his last name because I've never said it out loud and I apologize, but Connor, he plays in two amazing bands. He plays in Magnitude, which is an awesome straight edge hardcore band from the North Carolina area, Charlotte, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, yeah, just I Magnitude is a band that like once they hit hit the streets and they started to put music out, you know, play shows and everything, I was all in. And I mentioned this in the interview, but there's certain bands every like, you know, whatever, three to five years that wave the banner of straight edge and hardcore and play, you know, classic, classic metallic influence hardcore. And uh, I'm here for it. I'm going to probably be like 75 years old. And, you know, there's some new band that comes out that has a varsity font and you know x's around their names and i'm like oh my gosh i can't wait maybe that's what i'm gonna sound like when i'm 75 anyways but connor plays drums in magnitude and then he also plays drums in another incredible band that i've had the pleasure of uh, becoming friendly with over the years one step closer he plays started playing drums with them for about maybe a year some odd ago Um, we talk a little bit about that because um yeah it's exciting when you get to 
participate in multiple bands and you're able to just be on the road a lot, which that is what he is. But anyways, sweetheart of a conversation. Let's talk about the ways you can support the show. You can always, always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Love to get feedback that way, whether it's just saying what's up, whether it's like, hey, here's a record you need to listen to. Because actually, I recently got an email from somebody saying, you need to listen to the new Drop 19's record, which is, you know, a classic shoegaze band that, you know, exists around the same time as like My Bloody Valentine and what have you. But um, yeah, I, I did, and I like it. <laughs> so I love to have those conversations with people like you who are listening to the show. You can also please leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page. It helps out tremendously as far as the algorithms are concerned. Uh, but more importantly, you can tell your friends about this. Tell people who need to listen to conversations with stuff that they care about. Because as much as this is like a interview-based show, I really just want to paint a picture for who this person is, why their band's important, why they're important, and whether or not you stylistically like the band or not. Like, that is honestly a side point to me. What I want you to know is why this thing is, like I said, relevant and build a context around it, but ultimately be able to get you more bought in to independent music, punk, hardcore, whatever. Because like some of the most important feedback that I get personally about this show is that, you know, I'm older. I'm not able to go to as many shows as when I was in my early 20s or late teens or whatever. And listening to your show gets me introduced to either new bands or new music or whatever the case may be, but it just makes you feel connected. And that's why I do this. Like, yes, of course, it's, you know, entertaining for me and it's really fun to have these conversations, but I view this as like a audio zine. And I know that for you, some of you have been listening for many, many years. have heard me say this before, but uh, I just, uh, I become even more committed to that idea as each episode transpires. But anyways, I'll get off my soapbox, but those are the ways you can support the show. Also, here is a weekly recommendation. I've been doing this for all of 2024 and I'm going to continue to do it because, um, yeah, I just love to share music that I trip across and I find valuable. Some of these may end up being in my, you know, year end list and some may not. But this is a record that came out last year on Convulse Records. I actually got keyed into it <clears throat> via a friend on social media. Uh, him and I have just, you know, become recently acquainted and we have existed alongside of each other for quite some time. But anyways, he hits me up with this band, Spine, who I was familiar with just by name. And I never checked out their newest, or I think their only LP called Races. It's like R-A-I-C-E-S. So I could be completely butchering the pronunciation because I think there may be a Latin bent on it. So Races, but anyways... The Bane is Spine. That is the name of the record. If you worship like power violence, but you know, with a little more nuance and depth, it like this record delivers in spades. It is pissed. It is very straightforward. But once you start to read the lyrics and comb through the record, like it was one of <laughs> it was one of those things where, and I know you have experiences as well, where you listen to a couple songs in the record and you're like, oh, I need to order this immediately. And then you get it. And then you just like pour over it, listen to the record, read the lyrics. And it was just, the whole picture was painted and I fell in love with it. So big recommendation on the Spine record, Rices, Rices, however you say it. 
And like I said, it came out in Convulse Records. I love what they do. Based out of Denver, really, really cool record label. And I will include a link in the show notes to where you can follow along to all the recommendations that I have on a weekly basis. And you can just listen to all of the stuff, whether you listen to every single episode or not. It doesn't matter. I just want you to be piped in to music that I think is worth your time and paying attention to. So anyways, that's what we got. Let's uh, let's talk to Connor. Let's talk about drums and touring and straight edge. All the important things, right? Anyways, uh, yeah, let's go talk to him. I'm sure you're like this as well, where you, you know, discover a band you get into them and then for whatever reason, like you just become slightly obsessed with them where you're just like, Oh yeah. Like I just love their aesthetic. I love all the birch. <laughs> I love the way their, you know, demo looks or seven inch looks or whatever. And you just really kind of, you know, become enamored with the band and magnitude was for sure like that for me and still is where. What? Oh, no way. Dude, I was like, and honestly, I actually reflected. I was like, okay, well, prior to Magnitude, what like as a early 40s straight edge hardcore kid, I was like, all right, before this, what band really kind of captured me on that level as well? And honestly, it was like Foundation. That was a band that I got obsessed with. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying obsessed from like the, oh my gosh, like I see the torch being passed from one cool straight edge band to another straight edge band and whatever. So anyways, the point being magnitude was like that for me. And like I said, it wasn't just about the music, but it was like, you know, the aesthetic, like everything you guys were kind of putting forth. And I'm going to guess that like, obviously there was a very specific intention, you know, when you guys were starting the band and obviously what you wanted to sound like and stuff like that. But I imagine mm. everything else kind of just like played into the fact that we were like, oh yeah, we love like, you know, nineties hardcore. And we want to kind of, you know, wave the banner of that in the, you know, 2010s, 2020s. Mm -hmm. No, no, that's a hundred percent accurate. And it's also accurate what, what, what you said about, how like you get enamored with the band and you become like obsessed with them for like such like a time you like really, really be obsessed with them. And I still do that today. I still like when I get obsessed with the band, I'll listen to it for like a month straight. I'll get really, really obsessed with it. And then I'll, but yeah, I did that a lot as a kid and I, I still kind of do that today, but yeah, magnitude definitely started out with the intention of being like, I guess, quote unquote, what they, what we called it was uh, ch like chug core, like nineties chug core and stuff like that. Um, but no, we like all, everyone in magnitude has actually like played in bands prior to like magnitude forming. And we were, sp yeah, we specifically wanted to like have this kind of sound this, Oh, they did this sound in the nineties. And honestly, before magnitude, I didn't even understand this, <laughs> the nineties, like chug core kind of music. I was like, what the fuck is this this is not me like the the quiet the like the soft speaking parts yep. like oh one, one king down does them a lot and i'm like yo th this is not me and it took me forever to get into it matt our guitarist like actually like showed me that when we were like really little and i was like fuck this and then it like grew on me and so i was like all right, all right i get it now i totally totally get it now and um and then there matt and russell really wanted to start it they were the first two to like i think matt wrote defy and it was like the first song we ever wrote 
And I just put drums in. He goes, this is going to be like chug court, straight up 90s. And I was like, okay, great. And I like understood what they were talking about, like right off the bat. And we recorded Defy and the intro. Or we like wrote all four songs in like two days and then recorded recorded it in one day and released it the next. So it was like the demo was literally just done in like a week. That's amazing. And especially too, where I, I mean, honestly, I really appreciate your, your, your take on the fact that it's like, you listen to something and you're like, yo, that's not for me. But then over time you either, it grows on you, you understand it. Cause like, I, I mean, I'm sure that you experience this with certain bands that, you know, get spoke of as like, okay, like this is a legendary hardcore band. And, you know, you mm-hmm. listen to the recording and you're just like, this sounds like garbage cans being thrown out a hallway, which like, you know. Yeah, it doesn't sound legendary to me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like I always <laughs> I always refer to and he will describe this as such, where it's like a band like Chokehold, like they never had a good recording. And when you play it for a person that, you know, is only used to recordings being you know, moderately good. You play a chokehold record, you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, it sounds like, you know, a buzzsaw as a guitar. It's, it's awful. No, it's it's definitely it's not easy listening. It's it's hard to hear. It's hard to listen to. But yeah, like I, I agree. Especially coming from me just because I like I record music, like I record all the magnitude stuff. Yep. I like to mix and I like to master. So like, yeah, I like quality. I like loud, punchy, modern like sounding mixes. So it's like really crazy going back and listening to bands like that like late 80s 90s 2000s and i'm like this is tough (laughs) totally to listen to until you see live videos you like understand the lyrics a lot more and you're like oh my god the energy is is 100 there and it makes sense that recordings are that way but there's no energy in the recording so you can't just go off that like right off the bat to understand like why this band was like a legendary band it's like it's like have videos help a lot and a lot of people talking about well, like seeing them back in the day helps a lot as well but yeah you're right about the recordings yeah for sure and, and to your point as well where it's like there are certain styles where you listen to and you can completely like a- almost to the year identify where it's like oh yeah that's something they really did in 1998 or whatever <laughs> and you're just like oh yeah yeah, yeah for sure you're like why did why did uh, they drop this off like why did this go out of the you know, public consciousness in regards to punk and hardcore, but it's like, oh yeah, they only did it for that period of time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And especially with like um, '90s bands, I get love really tight snares, like tight, high pitched snap, like Snapcase, One King Down, whoever was doing it, and it was always like the double kick into the snare. I think oh, yeah. <laughs> we talk about it so often in the van, but One King Down, he just always goes like the whole song. Every time he does like a four count on a beat, it's at the end of it. Like snare in China, double kick yep. every single time throughout the entire song. And I'm like, that's the sound of like the 90s, like them doing that all the time. That was like yep. purposely there. Yeah, I just like you saying that like it just yeah, I mean, like that's triggering to me where I'm just like, oh, yeah, like I didn't think about it like that. But absolutely. And then to your point, too, where it's like it became in vogue at one point i mean especially like me being from southern california there was a lot of bands that like aspired to that tight snare sound and their snare drums got Mm -hmm. progressively smaller and smaller like the piccolo snares (laughs) and it was like 
Yes. <laughs> like, dude, you're using like a. Yep. They just want the pingy loud snare. It's like a. No matter what. It's like a, a sniper shot where it's like ping. And you're like, oh my God. Like, what, what is that? Oh, it's a snare. It's like, calm down. <laughs> yes. Oh man. I, I love yep. it. Yeah. I think, I think it was like, uh, I think we were talking to, I was on tour with One Step Closer and Steve Evitz was at one of the shows in Pennsylvania. He just came by to, to watch the show and we had a great conversation and we got talking about him recording Snapcase and, uh, he said they actually had the snare tuned even higher than what was on the record. And he was like, yo, we gotta go, we gotta bring it down just a little bit. It's too high. It was like a, like a 14 by eight and a half or some crazy like specs of a, of a snare drum. But like, it was so high tuned that he was like, all right, we got to bring it down just a little bit. And that's what they have on the record. And it sounds like the, like the highest tune snare you could think of. I love, I love that. Even at the time, it's like, Oh, we got to back it off a little bit. And then, yeah. And I was like, no way. It was much higher than that. There's no way. You're like, that is eardrum piercing. Like, how did yeah. you even do that? That's amazing. Well, we'll we'll nerd out a little bit more about that a little later. But uh, putting the focus on you, I know. Were you actually born and raised in North Carolina, or where did you come up? Yeah, yeah, I was born and raised in Charlotte. Okay, got it. Which is, you know, the the cool part of North Carolina. I mean, no, not to you know throw shade at all the other cities that exist in you know. <laughs> no, man, I'll I'll fucking say it. Charlotte rules. There's a, I'll always have like be defensive over Charlotte or like. I like North Carolina a lot. So defenses over North Carolina right. in general, I suppose. But Charlotte rocks. I love Charlotte. I love Charlotte as a city. I love like I like the food, the people, and uh, the coffee, and just stuff like that. Well, like my family's there, so like I'm very, very used to like going all around Charlotte and seeing family and seeing like my friends. But like my my everyone older than me. My parents, my older brother, my older sister, and my cousin, they're all born and raised in New York. And then they moved to North Carolina when I was like about to be born. So I was the first one out of the family to be born and raised in, in Charlotte. Oh, I see. So it was very, mm. you are the only one that has that distinct experience of like, okay, we moved down here, but I was literally born and raised. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. They all like, they remember New York. They remember moving. I was born and raised, and then my two younger brothers, obviously. So, like, there's there's five of us in the family. So, like, we were all born and raised in North Carolina, and that, yeah, right. That's all. That's all we really right. know. Yeah, North North Cackalack, as they say. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, first of all, five kids is a relatively big family. How and are you mm -hmm. stack right in the middle? It sounds like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm the middle kid, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and so you were, were you, uh, you know, clamoring for attention as that, uh, you know, that whatever cliche goes of like, okay, yes. Yeah. There, there's like a stereotype of like, oh, the middle kid, he's like the forgotten kid or whatever. But oddly enough, my parents like read a book about like having children. And if you have five children, the middle child apparently is the one that needs a lot of direction because he doesn't know or they may not know what to do with their life so when i was really young they they pushed music on me um or like playing something like an instrument or doing something i always like skateboarded me and my brothers would skateboard and but my parents really tried to like push something on me for me to like continuously do so 
I tried guitar when I was really little and it did not work out. I just hated it. It sucked. And I was like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But one of my friends that was a little bit older than me at the time, I was like eight, he played drums and he we skated together. And I didn't know that. So he started teaching me drums. And I like I just really liked it after that. And then I got a drum kit for Christmas. And uh <laughs> I think like the first song I ever learned on drums at like nine years old was Through Struggle by As I Lay Dying. And till today, it's fucking yeah. dope band. D- dope song. So, like, I'm still rocking it in my car. It's it's awesome. But it's just kind of a weird, like, I guess a weird thing to learn as a kid, like, just starting out, like, As I Lay Dying. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not... It's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's not, a, I, I would say, a easy drum to, you know, an easy band to play drums along with. Like, you know, I mean, you might look at... I didn't say I played it good, but, you know, I, I like, played it. Right, right, you're like, I stumbled through it, I got there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, because, yeah, usually it's, like, you know, you might be starting with, like, some simple, you know, four on the floor, classic rock, like, whatever, you know, Green mm-hmm. Day, Weezer, or something like that, but it's, like... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Playing something, you know, haul ass. With that, with that. No, right when I bought a drum kit, I made sure, I was like, Mom, Dad, you have to get me a double kick pedal as well. Really? Yeah, have okay. to. Oh yeah, like right away. So you learned, you so learned like yeah, on that, and then you scaled back, you know, to yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. And I mean, I'm gonna assume as well. I mean, you know, pushing you towards you know playing an instrument or obviously having something that is a a through line that you're dedicated to. Drums is probably like the least you know a, a appealing thing for parents to introduce to a house because that's just you, you know like poorly playing as they lay dying songs very loudly yeah they they quickly realized uh this sucks okay the neighbors absolutely hated it but i never heard any of that just because you know they they would like not tell me out of like protection or whatever but no i definitely i mean we had like since we had five kids um by that age, I, I was like, I need my own bedroom, even if it was really small. So I'd fit my drum kit in there and I'd close the doors and I'd try to like, you know, soundproof it with carpet as much as I could. And yeah, I would play all the time. It was annoying, but I would only play during the day. I wasn't like a like an asshole about it or anything like right. that. But yeah, still, it's it's drums. It's no it's no acoustic guitar. It's no bass or anything like that. So like, yeah, they're not getting. They're it not, was definitely, definitely annoying for yeah, sure. They're not getting you the V drum kit where it's like, all right, here's the electronic drums. Have fun. No, they. <laughs> yeah, at that time they were like, "This is too expensive." Here's a here's a five hundred dollar drum set. Here's a sunlight Just classic. Go crazy, and I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what kind of kid did you find yourself being as you were, you know, growing up and developing a little bit of an identity? As far as, um, I mean, it sounds like music was obviously encouraged at a pretty early age, and we're. Yeah, you were learning from your parents, but were you also learning from like your older siblings, or how did that all kind of you know work? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. Throughout my life, I've had like such like identity crises. I guess not really like in the sense of like like my identity as in within music, but just like high school was weird. I was like, I gotta stop wearing all this black clothing. Maybe I should like get into Hollister like clothing or. And then, like, after that was weird, I was, like, really into, I was impressionable as hell. And I don't know, I just kind of changed my style or this just because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't really know, like, how I should fit in or so and so forth. I 
definitely was just like a, a trend follower. But in regards to like developing as a kid within music, my, my sister's a bit older than me. She's like tw- like 32. And she's the one that really got me into music. Like she was the whole reason that I got into anything alternative, anything like that. Like she took me to Warp Tour 2004. I was just like eight years old. And me and my brother would skate. So we skated the half pipe because they had like a metal half pipe like every year at Warp Tour. And so 2004 was like, like Throwdown and I think the starting line and a bunch, who, who was it? I think it was a lot of like the offspring and, and some, yeah, I think Under Earth, but like some 41 bands like that. The year prior was 2003 and they had Poison the Well on and I was like really obsessed with Poison the Well. So like I was kind of bummed about that, but I was like seven. I don't know. I was like, I would have been like seven years old. I wouldn't have known anything anyways. Sure. But yeah, she like definitely got me into like everything. And she showed me like Thursday and Saves the Day and H2O and MXPX. And she was really into Newfound Glory. So she, like everything from then on, it was just like pop punk from like the 2000s and then uh, hardcore bands that were adjacent that she knew of. And she brought me to all the shows, all the, like the local shows, all the big like tours that came through town. And and stuff like that. So she, that she's definitely the whole reason I'm even like where I'm at today. That's amazing, especially too, where it's like I mean I'm sure you've obviously met a ton of other you know peers and bandmates and friends that mm. have experiences with their older siblings, either just being like, dude, I don't know what the hell they're into, or they kind of have that um, you know, like gatekeeping in a good way, where it's like, okay, I don't want to expose them to this because like you know like a kid could punch him in the head or something like that but it's like it's, it's yeah that you had that positive experience with your sister just being able to like oh yeah let's go together and we'll you know experience this as a as a unit for sure yeah yeah and with, with that as well i mean and i going back to actually what you were saying with the idea of you know you kind of jumping around and figuring out like who you were i mean you know truthfully that's most people's high school experiences where they're like all right i don't mm. i don't fit in as a sports kid like i'm gonna try being in chess club or whatever it's like i mean that's all normal merchandise is important right it's important to you it's important to me it's important to anybody that cares about independent music and you want officially licensed merch right you want the real deal you want the bands that get paid all that other stuff that you know just is really obviously very important within the context of music that is why you go to rockabilia.com and use the promo code 100 words or less that gives you 10 percent off of your entire order they may or may not have a Valentine's Day sale going on right now. And obviously until Valentine's Day, that gets you a little bit uh, higher discount. But that's that's neither here nor there. Regardless, you need to go to rockabilly.com. Check out all of the rad stuff they have. Whether you're into Iron Maiden, Kiss, Metallica, all of those awesome bands like from multiple genres. I don't care what you're into. You're going to be able to find something from rockabilly.com independently owned business ships straight from the Midwest in the Minneapolis area. And, uh, it gets to you very fast, amazing customer service. I've ordered from them multiple times and I cannot recommend them enough. So please support bands, please support Rockabilia and you can support the show by using the promo code 100 words or less. It gets you 10% off your entire order. It's a win-win solution for everybody. So go ahead, use that promo code and visit rockabilly.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Did you care about school? Like, were you, you know, studious? Were you encouraged to get good grades? Or was it kind of like, all right, as long as he's getting C's, Connor's okay? It was kind of like that. It, only because my sister was the first child. She was the overachiever. She was like, you know, top of the class, this, top of the class, that. Like, and everything got into college. My older brother absolutely did not give a shit about school he was so bad he just refused to do anything i think my mom just did all his work just enough to where he can graduate and get him out of there so like those were my two reference points so i me just being in the middle they were just like hey as long as you you know get b's or c's like and you pass like you're straight we don't we don't care i was like all right don't i i I didn't mind school I, i honestly hated going to high school but like the work wasn't the worst thing in the world and i wasn't you know the smartest person ever but i was good at math and i liked history and stuff like that so like it was fine season b's really nothing like detrimental but nothing like overachieving it was just kind of straight straight and narrow sure got it and you know i know that obviously straight edge and uh is an important part of uh you know who you are and obviously you know what the mm. the band is about uh when did that kind of i guess enter the picture i mean north carolina clearly has a you know history within the context of you know straight edge hardcore and stuff like that but how did that was was that just basically you kind of observing that from a distance as you started to go to warp tour and shows and stuff like that I, actually not really at all um my sister was dating some guy and he was straight edge. Oh, okay. And I, I would think I was like six, 16. And, uh, and I was like, what, what does this mean? And this was like me just then getting into hardcore and he was a hardcore guy. And, uh, so I got like, I dove really into that and I was trying to understand. And then I was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't drink anyways. So and so forth. And I wanted to be like part of something, but I was like, I don't want to be part of this or, or that. I, I don't even know like what I was truly thinking, but I just remember him saying, you should be straight edge. And you're like, sure. You, you'll be yeah, straight edge. Like, got it. And I was just like, I should be straight edge. Like, I'm, I think I'm going to do that. And then ever since I was, I was like 16 
And uh, yeah, I claimed it. And I was like, I know exactly what this is. I know what it means. And now I don't have to. All right. So I was so, so afraid as a kid. I was so afraid of being in trouble. I hated getting in trouble. And my older brother would get in trouble a lot. And I was like, I don't want, I was like, you're going to get caught. You're going to do this. It's going to get bad. It's going to get the police involved. And like all of this shit would happen. And I'm just like, I'm not dealing with any of that. I want to be the total opposite of this. That way I can still go to all these shows with all these crazy people who are drinking and smoking. But my parents would know I'm okay because I, I don't do that. That's not my thing. And they got a lot of shit from other parents. They're like, how could you let your, you know, your 13 year old kid go to these clubs and all these people are drunk and smoking and this and that. He's going to get into drugs. You're going to let him in a band. Like, you can't do that. He's going to end up like a dirtbag. And I, you know, I'm like the absolute opposite. I live in the suburbs. I have no tattoos. I don't drink. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. And nobody at work thinks I play the music that I play because it does. It just doesn't look like I would play that music. If, if that makes any sure. sense. But like, um, so yeah, I straight edge, like, I don't really know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, like, I think I've always just been you, you were, straight edge since 16. I was like, oh, this is just the way I, my life is. I'm just going to stay this way. And, and I, I mean, I get that, especially when you have this level of, you know, discontent of finding like who is, you know, your, <laughs> that's used to large of a word, but like your tribe, your community of people. And then when you find this label that you could put on yourself that distances you from what you were trying to distance yourself from trouble, like <laughs> it's, yeah. it's easy to be like, oh yes, if I do this, like I'm going to be given more latitude with my parents because they know that I'm not going to be, you know, a bonehead and making, I'll be making mistakes. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to go do stuff. I wanted to go to more shows. So I wanted to be sure I was not going to get into trouble. And then um, I wanted to hang out with more people. And I was like, they're straight edge too. And I actually felt like, oh my God, these are like, everyone's thinking of the same thing. I'm thinking they want to be straight edge. I'm straight edge. I'm part of something. And I play music. We can start a band. We can be in a straight edge band. And I, like, that's what I was thinking of so much. And really just not getting in, in trouble. I just, I hated it so much. I hated getting in trouble. Yeah. My parents are cool. They would let us do stuff, but like, you know, they're from New York. They're a little scary. They're a little this and that. So like anyone gets into trouble, it's to me, I was like, oh, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not, especially, I'm not down. I'm not down with that. Especially because you literally saw what it was like on the front lines for your brother getting in trouble. And it was like, dude, I don't Mm -hmm. want anything like that. So I'm going to, yeah, exactly. My power to make sure that that doesn't happen to me. Yeah. yeah. I don't, and I don't know what it is about everyone, but like everyone just kind of hits a certain age and they're just like, I'm, I'm going to like grow up for me. It was, I feel like maybe I was really young when like the feeling of like, I'm, I'm grown up. I'm a little bit more mature than my age, but my brother like automatically randomly stopped getting in trouble. He started working construction with my dad and he immediately just became like a man like he became like just like a grown-up you know what i mean someone just like doesn't really flip a switch like automatically but like progressively he got so good at the job and now he actually owns like my dad's company it's like in his name now 
and you know he has a house he's married this and that he's got two dogs like like him and i are like good friends and it was just weird it was just at a time period when we were young in like high school and he was such a dirtbag and i was like this is the complete opposite of who like the person i am and now i see how similar him and i are and it's just like oh you shouldn't have gotten in that much trouble in the first place to be, to be honest it was just weed like jesus fucking christ it's not that big of a deal but it's all you know it's all in retrospect. Yeah, of course, right. And you can you can look at that and be thankful that even though you were taking two paths, that those paths would eventually converge and you'd be like, oh yeah, like it's good. You know, you're responsible now and that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um so as you started to, you know, play drums and obviously be active in music and going to shows and stuff like that, were you immediately enamored with the idea of playing a band or did you have to kind of work your way up to that? I definitely wanted to play in a band. And uh at first my parents signed me up for this like this school of rock thing oh, sure. where it was like a pro it was like a program where like these uh like music teachers would like get all their students together and say we should like let's form a band. What kind of band do you guys want to be? Let's do like eighties covers, let's do eighties rock covers or metal covers. And immediately I was like I was real into like metal at the time i was like uh, like 11 and i was like yeah metal band and they're like yeah like black sabbath and i was like oh no <laughs> i was like that's not what i meant about like metal but that's what they meant so like when i was a kid they first signed me up to do all these like covers with these really random people that i didn't know and then older kids and like local bands saw me play and they're like yo you should come play in our band and then it just like progressed from there. I think I just played in really, really bad bands with older kids when I was a kid. And then, um, and then, yeah, I definitely, but I definitely wanted to be in a band like for sure. When I was a kid, I was like, and people hyped me up a little bit when I was a kid and I didn't have any like reference of what a really, really good drummer was. So I was like, yeah, I'm the best fucking drummer ever. I'm so good. I like, I'm so young and cool. And I was like, I just want to be in a band. I want to be seen. And then, uh, like slowly I would see like really, really good drummers. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not shit. Yeah, like I'm not anything. Like- I'm not shit. I got humbled so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I got, so- <laughs> I got humbled. So- I still get humbled all the time. I'm just like, man, damn it. Um, uh, it is what it is but yeah i I for sure wanted to be in a band when when i started playing drums so i was like that's what i want to do for sure right right and was there any uh i guess aspiration of you like as you started to you know go through high school and like quote unquote figure out your life (laughs) from you know like oh no 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 going going to college or like you know potentially following in the footsteps of what your you know brother was doing as far as construction was concerned well, actually, I did start working construction with my dad and my brother at like 17, but that was just like, just to have money. You know what I mean? Uh, I would do it sometimes when I wasn't at school. And then when I graduated school, I just did that because I didn't know what I wanted to do. At that time, I was like playing in, in bands and stuff like that. Me, Russell and Matt, we were like 17, 18, 19 years old. And uh, yeah, so I would do construction. I'd play in like hardcore bands or youth group bands or, or this or that. and but I never had like an idea of like, am I going to figure my life out? I definitely didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to do a four year university. I was like, yo, I don't have like the schooling. All right. Like I, or like the drive 
to go to school, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do the work. I know I don't spend the money. Like I, I'm not going to like doing the work. I don't know what I want to go for. Just, just don't do it. Don't waste the money. It's fine. Right. But they were like, you should really pursue something. We would like you to pursue something. So I was like, I'll go to audio engineering school because I wanted to not only like playing bands, I wanted to record. I wanted to record my drums in my room. I wanted to figure out how to people make the drums sound that good and this and that. So I started recording at like 17, but I was like really just figuring it out. And uh, so there was a school in New York called the Institute of Audio Research. And it was like a year long program, but you like learn on Pro Tools and I already know Pro Tools. And you get a you get certified in Pro Tools at the end of the year and, and so forth. But there's like a bunch of classes. There's a music theory class, you basically electronics and all these like classes about like MIDI and exploration about like the software and stuff. And so I, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, like sign me up. I'll do that. So I moved to Brooklyn at like 17. And my sister was already living in Manhattan. So I was just like 30 minutes away by train. And my school was also like 30 minutes away by train. It was like one stop. And uh, I would just go to school like five days a week. It was kind of like high school. It was like the same exact time every single day, weekends off. And uh, But at least I got, you know, a certificate in Avid Pro Tools. So I'm certified in Pro Tools. That, that's cool. But that was like the higher education, my parents, I guess wanted me to pursue and i did it and i came home at least you were you were like focused on something there was a discipline there and not just like whatever i'm gonna hang out and you know just whatever play yeah whatever. not know what to do and this and that yeah so i'm gonna guess that the the first bands that you played in were um absolutely terrible but who were you trying to like rip off and or like play shows with and you know what were you kind of trying to do with some of the first bands that you played in oh man <laughs> loaded question um the reason i ask that is not to embarrass people it's more so the fact that i mean everybody starts somewhere and usually the band name that you give is like people can identify what the band sounds like immediately you know like you're like oh For sure. like i'll tell uh, just in the spirit of sharing the first band that i played in was called doomed society so you can immediately conjure up what we sounded like so there you go doomed society yeah, sick yeah, exactly. it's funny but it was like yeah we covered we covered strife and then we also covered dead kennedys because why not right okay no that's awesome i don't care what anyone says that's awesome when bands like covers other bands that don't sound like them at all i think that's the fucking coolest. it is it's fun. um so yeah what was some of your what were some of your first uh you know endeavors as far as like actually getting out of you know the practice space or whatever and playing shows and stuff like that um my the very first band after that like that program band that my parents signed me up for was a band called articuno and that's a Pokemon, by the oh, way. I was gonna say, I was like, and so oh, like wait, that sound that registers on on my yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. So I don't know. Some older kids had a band called Articuno, and I they were just like, "Yeah, we start drummer out. Do you want to play?" And I was like, "Yeah, cool." And so we did like house shows and garage shows, and I thought it was the coolest fucking thing in the world. And uh, they were just obviously really, really bad shows. And I, I I didn't play that good. I didn't hit that hard because I was fucking eleven. And, uh, but like, that was the time where I was like, yeah, I'm in like a, I'm in a DIY, like local, like, like metal band and this and that. That was cool to me. 
I don't even know what to compare us to. It made no sense at all. It was definitely confused as sure. hell. Um, there are like, you know, like random metal parts. And then there's like the, the classic, like clean guitar parts that made no sense. Evilgreed.net is the place where you should point your web browser to because they provide web store solutions for bands and record labels to sell you the end consumer that merch. And I know that's like a really complicated way of me saying, yo, go to that website and order stuff from them. But Evil Greed is very interesting for a multitude of reasons. But first and foremost, use this promo code 100 words that gets you 10% off your entire order. And you will be able to benefit from that by ordering. Let me just give you a little overview of what it is that they do. Like I said, they send you merch, et cetera, et cetera, vinyl, shirts, sweatshirts, whatever you need. But they kind of act like a record label in the sense of they have a very specific point of view. Like they don't open the floodgates for every single band and every single record label. They traffic in what I would like to call the artistic heavy stuff. And that is why I personally love Evil Greed because it matches my own personal music sensibilities. And I think for anybody that checks out this particular show, you will probably be able to find your people in your bands in spades. Let's just list some of the record labels they work with, whether it's Closed Casket Activities, Flat Spot, Profound Lore, Translation Loss, Triple B. The list can go on from that side of things. But like I said, it's all artistic heavy stuff. And you will be able to get that 10% off by using the promo code 100 words. They're based out of Berlin, Germany, but fret not. The shipping rates are very advantageous for us here in America, and they get it over to you very, very fast. So please use that promo code 100 words. Go to evilgreed.net, order, and uh, just just revel in all of the awesomeness that will come in your mailbox like, you know, a week later. And then you'll be like, geez, Ray, you weren't kidding around about, you know, them shipping it quick from Berlin, Germany. But I love Evil Greed, and I know you will too. So evilgreed.net, promo code is 100 words. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me and Russell, I think, started, I think after that was uh, a youth group band called Rapid Change. Ooh, I, and I, me and I like Russell. That name. That's good. Rapid. That's oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I came up with it. I didn't even really come up with it. It was actually a fucking like propane company. And it literally says Rapid X Change because I guess the company is called Rapid Exchange. But they had an X in the middle, and I was like, that's the dopest name I've ever seen. It's already a straight-edge logo. Look at that. It's amazing. So I that's no what... idea that they were naming a straight-edge band at all. Not at all. And I was like, we're using that. I swear to God. So, yeah, Rapid Change was actually sick. I liked Rapid Change. 
if you start to pull influences and be inspired by bands that are clearly above your musical talent, it doesn't like it doesn't matter. You're still going to try to sound like it, but just like a bad version of it, because that's what every band does when they first start, you know? Yeah, no, 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 for sure. And so when, you know, I guess when fast forwarding a little bit, like when Magnitude came in the picture and because your demo, that was 2017 ish, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think it had to have been. Yeah. 2017. And so, I mean, it seems like, I mean, even though the fact that you guys have, you know, done a lot, I mean, the fact that you got to two full lengths as a hardcore band, like that's a heroic feat in and of itself. Um, well, yeah, of course. Um, did you, I guess, notice people paying attention to you guys, like sort of outside of your, you know, circle of friends and your scene? Like, was that around the demo or was it around like when you guys started to work with Triple B and stuff like that? Uh, no, pretty much right off the bat, we got some traction because a lot of our friends are like not in the state of North Carolina. Like we have a lot of friends in South Florida. We had a lot of friends in Philly. I had friends in New York and um and in Atlanta. So like right off the bat when we put the demo out, they kind of like wrote hard for us. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like they fuck with the demo and it's cool. And we're all friends in this band. Like it's all North Carolina kids. And we're all like really good friends in general. So like I just felt really good about Magnitude. I was like, yeah, this is like the first band where it's just like the dream team of people. I'm like, this is great. This is good time. And then we wrote music with a purpose. We were like, we want it purposely to sound like this. It sounds awesome. And uh, we released a demo and our friend Lennon put it out on Plead Your Case Records in yep. Florida. And it was this, like, it was just a tape, but it was in like a manila folder. It was so cool. And I was like, I fucking love this. But he wrote really hard for it. Everyone in South Florida wrote hard for it. Lennon, everyone like, like really dug it. And that kind of just gained some traction. But I think what really helped is Lennon helped us get onto FYA Fest right like after the demo. And then by FYA Fest, we had released a seven inch. And which was also on Plead Your Case Records first. So like we had a demo in the seven inch and then we played FYA and that kind of just like, oh, people see it, see like them singing along and moshing like crazy. So I was like, this is the best feeling in the world. I've never had a band where people would sing along to like I didn't (laughs) I've never been in a band where people knew the lyrics or gave a fucking shit. So it was really awesome to see that. And I was like, ah, this this might go somewhere. This might actually people might like this like for real. So I was super pumped on that. And then uh. I think Sam came and talked to us at United Blood Fest. And that was the first time we met Sam. He was like, let's let's do a record. And we were like, fuck yeah. yeah. Sounds great. Okay, perfect. <laughs> and uh, like, hell yeah, we want to be on Triple B Records. Are you fucking kidding me? So it was great. And uh, then he repressed the 7-inch and it just got you know more and more traction and, and stuff like right, that. Right. But, but I really, yeah. I like, I could keep going, but I don't even know what no, I'm talking no, no, about no, at this you're point. Good, you're good. I, I, but I, I appreciate the description of that idea where it's like the moment that you sing, you see someone singing along that you don't know. And you're just like, how, how did you know about this? Like, this is so incredible. And like yeah. the reaction and like those feelings of when you, you know, even if it's on such a small scale and level, it's just that feeling that you're 
art and the music and the ideas that you had with friends all of a sudden steps outside of anything you ever would have anticipated. It just feels so cool. No. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, we had people singing along to like the, at the very first show. And I was like, how would you even know the lyrics? So I was like, this is the first show ever. Like it was really, really cool. I, I liked that aspect of it a lot, but that's, yeah, that's definitely what made me think. Yeah this might like go somewhere even if it's not like the the biggest thing in the world it might go a little bit further than anybody else sure. is and did you the the idea of yeah you know, i mean whatever going down to florida and touring and playing shows and stuff like that i mean i know touring is a big part of your life now had you always wanted to tour and had that goal or was that just something that you knew came along with playing a band i think it's just something i knew that came along with it honestly like yeah it's like anytime i think about oh we're gonna do a tour yeah i get excited i get pumped and and whatnot but uh it's never been a thing of like this is what i want to do i'm down for it i'm down for the the everything the equipment travel this that's never been a a thing in my head it's just kind of like oh this is what you you know this is what you do you tour and whatnot so i kind of just i guess i just go along with the flow someone wants to book a tour i'm like yeah sure whatever (laughs) you're like sounds sounds cool (laughs) yeah yeah i'm like yeah yeah we should tour it sounds like a good idea and then i like hope someone else takes care of all the the rest because i'm just like i don't know i don't know how to book a tour i'm just hoping someone else does it right that was actually going to be my next question just because it, it does i mean even though you know hardcore is as popular as it ever has been in the history of its you know its its young lifespan there's that idea that, you know, once you get to play in front of people and get paid, you know, $150 to play a show, you start to have to think about like, oh, what does this mean from a, you know, business perspective and stuff like that? So it, yeah. it sounds like you like to keep yourself not removed where you just like don't care about it because clearly you care. But do you try to stay as much of away from it as possible? Or do you like to, you know, be uh, a little bit more informed than that? Oh no, I'm I'm very involved when it comes to touring. I f- I feel like I misinterpreted that a little bit. But no, like in terms of like booking the tour, like contacting people and doing this and that, I don't know how to do any of that. So like any tour we've been on, like someone else kind of did that for us. But or maybe it was Russell or maybe it was so and so or Lennon if we were like touring with EcoStrike at the time, like Lennon put it together. You you know what I mean? Yep. But in terms of like, like the business side, I guess you could say of it, like I'll deal with all the money, I'll deal with all like the merch, and I'll even sell the merch. I'll deal with uh, paying the merch companies and all and the gas. I like the van's always in my name. A lot of this, like the, I guess the responsibilities of like touring, um, I like to handle, and uh, it just keeps <laughs> if like. If I don't know what's going on, I, I'm not comfortable. And I'm like, ah, are we losing money? Are we making money? Are we are we super, super in debt? Is someone lying to me? I don't know. So like, I just want to do it myself just so I'm like, this is the deal, everyone. This is how much money we have. This is their guarantee. This is what, you know, every single day. I like doing that stuff. So like, even this past tour that I just got home from, like I, I was TM for that. Any of the magnitude tours, I kind of like, settled it wasn't really doing tm duties because we you know 
there's not much to do when it's just like a hardcore band, I suppose. But I would, yeah, I would settle at the end of the night. I would cash checks. I would have, I have a bank account just for the band and, and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm hands on when it comes to touring, but not when it comes to booking. Right. I'm very, very just, I don't know right. what to do about yeah. booking. No, and that's fair. And that's fair. And that, I mean, and that's definitely what I was meaning more on the business side of things where it's just like, yes, I know I, I am comfortable in, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, Excel spreadsheets of our, our merch and how much we made and stuff like that versus some people are just like, dude, I don't want to have anything to do with that because I'm terrible at it. Yeah, no, I, I love the Excel spreadsheets. That's that's my shit. I love that. I want I want new algorithms. I want to know this and that I want to like I love using Square. Oh, sure. I love being able to see like because, you know, my, my, I work in a in a cafe. So like I'm, I'm very used to Square as a point yeah. of sale. So I know it really well. I know how to operate it. I know how to like do everything. So I love using Square for merch. And I show everybody, I'm like, this is how you do this. This is how you, if Russell wants to sell merch or if someone else wants, like Burke wants to sell merch, I'm like, this is where you see your tips. This is everything through credit card, so on and so forth. And then I'll deposit it into the, like the band's bank account. And I'll just be like, this is how much money you have. Do you guys want like a thousand dollars? Do you need this or that? Or whatever have you. But yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's that's great because it does, especially as you become like, you know, literally getting a bank account for the band, like all these things that you don't ever really consider until you're confronted with the idea where it's like, geez, I have a thousand dollars. Like I can't put it in my own bank account. Like what the hell do we do with this? But it's like, just le- learning yeah. those things of, of how to, you know, operate in a band on a more professional level, even though you're not like doing this to, you know, make money it's just like well the fact that we did like that's sick that's great we'll keep doing it exactly the fact that we did is just like that that really rocks because this maybe like we did the longest tour we've ever done before wait which was actually the we toured with knocked loose and gate creeper and karma in 2021 it was like the longest tour we've ever done before it was like five weeks and we were like oh man so we got to get really set up we got to do this and that and i was like all right so like yeah we came home with like some money enough to like maybe pay our bills at the end because like it was longer than a month and i was like as a band i think our overview is if we can make enough to pay our rent then yes we can go on tour <laughs> like that's really it we're just like yo if we make enough personally to where all the like the merch bill is paid the van is paid everything's paid after that if we can just pay our rent or pay our bills then I'm comfortable touring. It's not like we're really profiting, you know what I mean? Right, right. right. <laughs> and I'll, on that tip too, like when you first started to, you know, experience the, the touring lifestyle, especially when you go over to Europe, because I know you guys have done that a decent amount. How mm-hmm. how different is it over there for you? I mean, I know generically speaking, obviously Europe takes care of bands, you know, relatively well. They'll you know give you your your you know yeah, it's like, awesome. Your, your vegan stu- they're awesome. Vegan stew and we'll hook you up with the place to stay. Um, so <laughs> they're vegan stew. Yeah, we call it the vegan slop. Just big old stew sure. slop. You want, you want, yeah, you broiled eggplant in there. I guess I don't know. Sure. It was awesome. Like yeah, our I guess our first experience going over there was actually c- kind of crazy. It was the Triple B Takeover okay. tour, and so it was like four or five U.S. bands, and so instead of getting multiple vans uh sam teamed up with monster energy 
and they got a tour bus, like a 20 person bus. And I was like, this is the most insane living thing I, I've ever experienced. Like touring Europe. And, and I always have to drive. Or not, it's not I always have to drive. But like I predominantly drive during touring in the, like in the US. So when I realized I don't have to drive and I just get to sleep and wake up in a new country, I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. I love this so much. Like I never want to like not do this. But yeah, touring over there, like even without, because, you know, we toured with One Step Closer uh, in Europe as well. So like it was just a van and trailer, but they still catered to us like really, really, really well. And they, you know, put us up in hostels or have accommodation for us or whatever have you. But it's definitely different than the U.S., that's for sure. (laughs) They actually somewhat care about the bands that come over here as opposed to like just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yourself over here in the States. Yeah. (laughs) yeah and i i think it's just because i don't know i think geography just has a part to play in it the united states is just so big that you know you can drive in the same state and cross three time zones and like that one state could be the size of germany like texas is like the size of germany it's just like i don't it's not like yeah if a band like a hardcore band from europe comes to the u.s and tries to tour the whole u.s it's like not everyone is going to care as much as if someone went to Europe in maybe in my opinion, because like, it's such a giant, giant country. It's like, you're touring so much, like there's so much land. There's so much, so many places to hit. It's like, I don't know if they've heard of my band. It's like, even my band. I'm just like, I don't know if we're going to do well here. I have no idea. Most like sometimes we'll, First time we played Nashville, it was like ten, like maybe ten people. And then the first time we ever played Germany, there was maybe nine people. And I was like, "Oh man, this is rough." Like, but even though there were nine people at the show in Germany, they still catered to us, all of us, and most of us were vegan. So, like, I mean, Ger- Germany does vegan food very well over there. They always like yeah. cater. So, like. Even though there was only nine people, they they had a huge spread for us, and they had green rooms and everything. And I was like, "Man, what the fuck? Like, we want to do this over there. That's over here. This is crazy." You're lucky. You're lucky if you get a case of water, dog. Like that's yeah. Yeah. Like, can we get a water? Yeah, exactly. Um, and now that you've experienced, because I mean, when did you actually start? playing drums in one step closer is that like forgive me for my ignorance but like is that a permanent thing that you're playing with them or is that basically you're just you know kind of filling in stuff as they figure things out no no you're fine you're fine um yeah a lot of people have had the same exact question because it seemed just like randomly i started playing with them and then that was that there's no real announcement there's no real anything like that well especially because you're from um, the start of like that i mean it makes sense when you're just like oh yeah like they toured together they're friends like you know yeah like connor's just filling in or whatever so anyways yeah exactly yeah yeah that that also makes sense so um last year the end of last year i started to do merch for i i, I still want to do merch but i started doing merch for a few bands and once the closure was on tour with angel dust and movements and so I did merch for One Step Closer, and I was just going to be their guy. Like I was just going to be their merch guy. The following like two months, once like the beginning of this year, actually twenty twenty three in January, they had a ten day headlining tour, and then immediately a Southeast Asian 
Japan, and Australian tour. And then like a month later, they did like a Silverstein tour. But right at the beginning of January, their drummer had like had quit. And they were like, oh, fuck. What do we do? And obviously they were just like, hey, Connor, do you could like, can you fill in? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I already <laughs> I, I know the songs like, like I've, one. I've I love. Yeah. I love One Step Closer. I toured with them in Europe. I know all their stuff. And like I already toured with them because I was doing merch for them anyway. So I was going to be on the tour anyways. So I was like, yeah, I'll fill in. Like, of course. So we did the headlining tour. And then they bought my ticket for Japan and Southeast Asia and put me on the names. I was like, holy shit. And this is all like super random. This is like two weeks notice. Oh, you're touring for like a month and a half all over the world. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, cool. So, yeah, that kind of just randomly happened. And then we did the Silverstein tour. Um, During the Silverstein tour, they were talking. They're like, all right, so, like, you know, you know we, we want you. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's just there's a lot of touring going on right now. And I just, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just yes. riding right. along. I'm just riding the way. I'm just saying, yeah, I'm just saying yes to, to everything. And um, so like they did a Silverstein tour the day that ended, I flew to New York because magnitude is flying to Japan. So like that tour ended, it was a month long, like five weeks. Then I immediately flew to Japan. Magnitude toured there for five days. Then we went to Southeast Asia. And then after we toured Southeast Asia, we couldn't tour Australia because we didn't get it booked in time. But they flew home and I flew back to Japan to vacation with my girlfriend. And so we stayed a week in Japan. Then I flew back to the States. And then we immediately went on another month-long tour with Drain. So like <laughs> that was like the longest I've ever been away from home. And it was like three and a half months or something like that of like literal world traveling. And I was like, this is it's awesome, but it's a little crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, she's going to hate me. This is no, I don't know what's going on here. But I told myself, I was like, I told her and myself, I was like, let me just, let me just tour as much as I can. Let me go experience some things. Let me do this and that because COVID took away like two years of our lives. Sure. And I was like, I don't know what to do with myself being at home all the time. I've never not played shows. I've never not played music. So like a whole year of not doing anything was like, what the yeah, fuck? Like, what are we am doing? I, like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. So I really took advantage of this entire year. So like, now that the year is coming to a close, I think I've been away from home more than I've been home. Like, like I think I've been away for like 260 days out of 364 or whatever. And, uh, which is kind of crazy, but I still don't feel like it's been that much touring. Maybe just because it's with two different bands and I'm playing two different styles of music or yeah you know what i mean for sure and that was actually i was going to ask you just because you've had this experience of like you know i mean magnitude is clearly like you're influencing the song structures you're you know really in the weeds with that whereas one step closer like you are a literal fan that is filling in and hanging out with your friends and playing music straight up that you didn't straight up yeah yeah so and then also to your point, you're playing much larger venues. You're playing to people who really have no idea mm-hmm. like what, I mean, they know generically speaking what hardcore is, but like not in the way that, you know, you or I know it, but 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like with both of those experiences, like were, you know, is there surprises that you saw when you were playing with One Step Closer or vice versa? Like, oh, I'll be able to take what I learned from this and be able to apply it towards magnitude. Do you mean in like a show wise? Yeah. Or like my play? Like what you're, so like using the one step closer stuff, like you playing, you know, house of blues style venues and stuff like that, where, you know, you are not getting the same sort of reaction as you would when you're playing, you know, this is hardcore with magnitude or whatever. How are you, I guess, kind of, you know, getting inspired in the way of like, okay, the crowd is not going crazy. Like they're liking us, but we're not, you know, getting the same sort of reaction. Like, do you have to, yeah, it's a difference there. That's definitely yeah. There, that's it. Definitely sucks. I'll be honest. Like, there's nothing weirder than playing on a drum riser, like playing hardcore songs on a drum riser, looking at a crowd that's literally not singing along, and I'm like, that's so hard to like get into because even I'm playing drums and I'm singing along. I'm like, I love these songs. These fucking, I'm going crazy, but like. I sometimes I do struggle. I I find it hard to like when when it's a tough crowd or it's a tough interaction. But like, it is what it is. Sometimes it even makes me go harder because I'm just like they need to see us going really crazy for like for it to leave an impression sure. on them. Because like after all, one step closer is playing like a lot of tours with bands that are not necessarily hardcore bands. They're like playing with pop bands or like or maybe indie bands or or whatever have you because. They want to be exposed to everyone. They want they're they want to be the biggest band in the world, and that makes sense. They're just like I want to I want to play to everybody, and so like obviously that means playing to new crowds like almost all the time. So the energy is def- I mean I've definitely played to new cr- like new crowds with magnitude. Like I said, that first tour was a knocked loose tour. It's not like all the fans know who magnitude no, is no, like. So some some people do, yeah, and we played on risers on that too, and that was like my real first experience of playing like giant stages, and it wasn't even like a giant stage tour. It wasn't like a big venue tour for them, but there was like one or two stages that were like massive, and I was like, "There's so much room. Like, what are we gonna do? <laughs> this is so weird." And it was very weird for me too because I had a monitor and I was up on a on a drum riser, and I was like. I feel so disconnected from my band. I was like, where are they? I can't get the energy because there's, there's no kids falling on me. There's no this or that. There's the amps aren't right next to me. I was like, this is very, very strange, but yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's great either way. If you're playing to new crowds, even though like maybe the reaction kind of, kind of blows, it's like tougher, but like, it's still inevitably like a good idea. Well, and it gives you, like you as a you know even though you are a you know hardcore kid playing in hardcore bands it gives you the you know versatility and the experience to be able to be like oh yes like i am up here playing my drums regardless if there's anybody watching like you know i'd be doing this in my room or whatever (laughs) and so just like yeah that's yeah you have to almost pay attention to more than you know people spilling over your symbols or whatever yeah you're right at that point i'm just like i better i gotta focus on playing well <laughs> at that point because i'm like i forgot i'm not just in a hardcore band i gotta perform and i'm like i bet like i gotta i gotta look like i know what what i'm doing like i'm i can play the whole songs all the way through because um 
I definitely struggle with like if I didn't write the song, I'm not going to play it 100. percent So like I have to practice at home a lot, and I'm like even then I I like choke up live if I'm not in the same setting. I practice it, and I'm like if I forgot a part to a song, I definitely will forget. I'm like fuck, like I'm really I beat myself up a lot, but yeah, I think definitely the the energy of like a of like the crowd being right next to me and no one cares if I mess up a little bit, we laugh it yeah, off. It helps. That is like, yeah, it helps for sure. But going back to like the one step closer question. Yeah. I, I recorded on the new album that's going to come out in like next okay. year. We recorded in October. So like, I'll, I'll be on the record. So yeah, like I'm, I'm a, like, I'm part of the band. Yeah, oh, for sure. Got it, got it. No, I appreciate that. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the words in their mouths. We haven't really had the conversation. We're like, yes, you are a band member, but you know, I'm, I'm in the, the promo pictures and like, I'm on the record. And I feel like that solidifies the idea of just like, yeah, Connor. Totally. You are, you are progressing. You have, uh, you know, made your, your value recognized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was the fact, like you mentioned previously where, you know, you have recorded all the magnitude stuff. I know you record other bands and you mix other bands and stuff like that. Um, has that like, how has your experience playing in a band informed that? Or do you feel like you try to keep not you're you're not going to keep those two worlds separate because clearly people are going to you know come to you based off of the music that you've recorded. Um, but how do you think that you know you being in a band informs how you record and mix? I've definitely noticed that when. I watch a band and the drummer doesn't hit hard enough. Obviously this is going to be a biased question. Yeah. I'm a drummer, um, but it can go s- same thing with like guitars. They, they'll notice if, if someone doesn't pick hard enough, like you need to be a strong picker and uh, same with the drummer. You have to be a, like a hard hitter. And uh, I, I'll definitely take that with recording as well. If someone like they, they want you to be hard and consistent with every hit you do, it has to be heard. And like, I would notice live if, especially at hardcore shows, because the drums aren't always mic'd up. If they're not hitting hard enough, I can't hear any of the drums behind the guitars. It sounds like, it sounds like a heavy breakdown and I don't know where the snare is. And I'm just like, man, I want it to crack. I want to hear it so bad, but I don't. And I'm like, yo, just hit it so hard. So like, I really started to like hit my drums like hard as hell, no matter what. Like every fill, every everything, like I'm just hitting hard as shit. And uh that definitely definitely helps with recording as well. So like I'll record myself for all the magnitude stuff and I'm just like making sure I'm not like being really sloppy, especially with editing. Like I'll edit the drums and I'll be like, okay, that sounds like shit. I didn't play it hard. Or or mixing, I'm just like, well, it's I can't mix this because like I didn't fucking hit the toms the right way. Like they're not I there's too much cymbal bleed. I didn't hit the shit that hard. So that's, I think something that I've noticed about myself, I guess. Yeah. And that's your, to your point, that's going to help you from the tracking side of things. Like you, you know what will get a good performance on record and that will obviously help a live performance as well. So it's like those, you know, it, it benefits each other. There you have it. Please listen to Magnitude in One Step Closer if you haven't. 
massive appreciation to Connor for coming on the show and shout out to mutual friend and friend of the pod, Colin, who is a great individual. He's behind LTB Fest and he manages bands and just a great dude in general. So yeah, big shout out to him for making the connect and pulling this together. Next week, I have a friend who I am, well, I've like given him no choice but to be my friend, but I'm obsessed with his record label. And he actually was kind enough many, many moons ago to send me a package, a care package, and it did not get lost on me because it was one of those bands or one of those labels that I just became obsessed with over the past, probably I'd say two, two and a half years is where I really felt like he has, he has blossomed. But his name is Jonathan Gonzalez, and he runs a label called Sunday Drive Records. So that's what we have next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.